Well, today is the last of this series in Proverbs. However, we're going to be in Proverbs for, for quite a while. But this mini-series of, you know, Wisdom's Fight Card, this is the last. And our challenge today is to truly reflect God's image by every day fighting against injustice and fighting for justice. Now, we're just going to jump right in here. Probably here's the Bible's number one truth. God is the standard for justice. God is the standard for justice. His person, His priorities, His purposes, His precepts um, define justice. And as the creator of all, He decrees what is just and what is unjust. Um, it's interesting that the Hebrew word for justice, mishpat, and the Greek word dyke are also translated righteous or lawful. So what we get from that is justice is whatever is right and whatever is lawful in the sight of our eternal lawgiver, which is God. So justice is, is, is right. You know, whatever is consistent with God's nature and with His Word, that's what's just. And whatever contradicts His nature or His Word is unjust. But only He who is the same yesterday, today, and forever can be the standard. Jesus Christ, or God, is the only standard for justice, you see. Now, not everyone accepts that. Machiavellians, they define justice as whatever is best for them. In other words, they think that their ends justify the means. Well, this is why there's so many politicians who have no feeling of guilt whatsoever about lying or telling things that they know will distract us from the real issues or the truth. Seems like they have no issue whatsoever with that. But you see, God says that the end does justify the means, and our path is often just as important as our destination. So that's something that we need to think about. Many today seem to think that public opinion defines justice. That's what, they, that's what they're thinking. But let me tell you something. Even if 100% of the population believes that something is right or wrong, that in no way makes it moral are just because justice flows from God's nature and God's word and not an ever-changing public opinion. Amen? Now, in democracy, it is true that public opinion can make something legal, but it can never make anything truly just. You know, just because something is legal, that don't mean it's right or just. Now, many attempt to use human ethics to define justice. They say that justice is the greatest good for the greatest number. As Spock put it, um, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of just one. Well, there may be occasions when utilitarian principles um, leads to justice, but sometimes we need to understand that true justice calls for the many to sacrifice for the one. Friends, listen, in Proverbs 14 and verse 12, it says, There is a way which seems right to man, 
but its end is the way of death. And in Proverbs 28, verse 5, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all things. Something else we need to understand is justice is not equality. Justice is not equality. The plain truth is life on earth was not designed to be equal or fair. In fact, with most things in this world, God just doesn't seem to be overly concerned about our experience of equality. You know, certainly there are times when justice demands equality. We understand that. But folks, most of the time, those are two very different things. And we need to learn to separate those things. It's sad today, but many people, they walk around and they quote Jesus as they speak of what they call social justice. And I assure you that Jesus was always for justice, but the facts are he conspicuously avoided many issues that some now call his agenda. There's a lot of folks in this world saying that Jesus said this or Jesus would do that, and they try to put things on Jesus that Jesus never said. You see, we need to learn something. I think we can learn a lot about justice through a parable that Jesus told of a man who needed to get his crops in that day. And I know you'll remember the story, Matthew 20. Um, rising early, he went to the town square. He contracted with, with a, a group of day workers. He made a contract with them. Um, however, at noon, he realized that he was not going to make it. So he went back to the square in desperation and he hired more, promising to pay that group um, of new workers a full day's wage for only a half a day's work. But as the sun was beginning to set, he realized that he needed more manpower, so he hired more workers, promising to pay them a full day's wage for just a few hours of work. Well, at the end of the day, when the men who agreed to work all day saw what the others were paid, they complained about the inequality of paying the same wage for vastly different hours. But Jesus said it was not injustice, because the master did just exactly what he said he would do. And, and the agreement he made was with one group was no business of those others who made their own agree agreement, you see. Now, many today, as you can imagine, they reject the Lord's teaching in this parable. They think it's very unfair. They think it's unjust. But the facts are, Jesus worried little about equality in many areas which we obsess in, in, which our world obsesses in, only or, or once by divine providence, Onesimus, a runaway slave from Philemon's house, he met Paul and he became a Christian. This story is in the first chapter of Philemon. So what did Paul tell this new Christian to do? You remember the story. He said, Onesimus, return to your master, Ask for forgiveness, accept whatever discipline he's going to decree, and honor God by serving your master wholeheartedly. Of course, Paul then told Philemon, you receive this man back as your new brother in Christ, and you forgive and you treat him just as Christ has forgiven and treats you. So is both the Lord's and Paul's plan for social justice. That's the way that they did it. Don't whine about the inequalities, but trust in God. Give thanks. 
and honor him in whatever situation you find yourself in. In other words, bloom where you're planted. Be grateful for what God has given you. Suppose two men work for the same company. Every day, the first man, he arrives on time. He works with great energy and diligence. However, in contrast to that, the second man, he is more late than he is on time, and he does just enough not to get fired. Do these two men deserve equal pay? Suppose the first man, he saves a portion of every paycheck, and he sacrifices all his life to provide an education and opportunities for his children. But the second man, he don't save anything. He squanders all his money. The inequalities that result in the next generation are not really fair for the children, but it's also quite unjust for the state to enter this situation and deprive the first man's children of all the blessings their father had sacrificed to give them. Issues of equality and justice can get very complicated and are oftentimes they're in conflict. Proverbs, the 13th chapter, verse 23 says, Abundant food is in the fallow ground of the poor, but it is swept away by injustice. In other words, it is wrong to deprive the poor of the opportunity God has given them to feed themselves. That is unjust. But it's not unjust for those who work their ground to have more than those who slothfully leave their ground fallow. Proverbs 11, chapter verse 25 says, The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. He who withholds grain, the people will curse him. But blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. You know, there's always going to be rich and poor. Inequality is not unjust. But it is unjust for a rich man to hoard his grain, locking others into poverty. That's unjust. But it is just for him to sell some grain at a fair price so the poor have the opportunity to improve their own lives. Justice is not the same as equality or fairness. And our world has gotten this all mixed up. Number three. Justice seeks equal rights for all. Jefferson wrote this, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Well, I can assure you not for one minute did Jefferson think that all men are equal in every way. He's not blind. He could see. You know, some are taller and that gives them an advantage if they're playing basketball. Some are shorter. That gives them an advantage of being a jockey. You know, and we all have different intelligence. We all have different talents and opportunities and and resources. We are obviously unequal in many ways. So Jefferson, he proceeded to carefully define how we are equal. And he said this, endowed by their creator with inalienable rights, among these being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Folks, justice always recognizes that everyone created in the image of God has equal worth before our Creator and that God so loved them all that He sent His Son to die for them. So for anyone who 
would ever deny another person dignity and rights basically is to disrespect God's image and disregard His love. Proverbs 29 and verse 7, The righteous is concerned for the rights of the poor. The wicked does not understand such concern. Folks, the truth is this. God has special affinity or sympathy um, with the poor. And there are special promises that God gives for those who suffer um, inequalities. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 22 and 23. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their case and take the life of those who robbed them. It's Philip Yancey in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, he gives 10 reasons why God loves and maybe why he allows so many people to be poor in this world. And he starts off, number one is this, the poor know they are in urgent need of redemption. The poor know not only their dependence upon God, but also their interdependence with one another. The poor rest their security not on things, but on people. The poor have no exaggerated sense of their own importance. The poor expect little from competition and much from cooperation. The poor can distinguish between necessities and luxuries. The poor have learned how to wait. They have dogged patience. The poor know that they can survive great suffering and want. The poor recognize that the gospel is the good news. The poor can respond to the gospel with certain abandonment because they have so little to lose and are ready for anything. Now with that said, listen to the provision that God made, not just for our physical needs, but for the dignity of the poor in the law of Moses here. Going all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 24, starting with verse 17. It says, You shall not pervert the justice do an alien or an orphan, nor take a widow's garment in pledge. But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and that the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Now understand, during this time when this, when this was written, the children of Israel, they had lived as slaves in squalor in Egypt. But God was fixing to make them a mighty and prosperous nation and he did not want them to forget the lessons that they had learned as the oppressed people and become the oppressors of others in their prosperity. He wanted to remind them who they were and what it was like, you see. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing, he says, then picking up with verse 19. When you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow, in order that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive tree, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, for the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not go over it again. It shall be for the alien, for the orphan, and for the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I am commanding you to do this thing. You see, in God's welfare program, the Israelites were to intentionally leave a few sheaves in the field, leave some olives in the trees, 
and some grapes on the vine so that the poor could come along and with the dignity of work, provide for themselves. God's plan was to give those people a hand up and not just a helping hand. Now that's certainly a lot different than the culture of entitlement that we've created. Let me tell you something. Equality is not the same as justice, but justice demands that we respect the rights and the dignity of everyone created in God's image. And folks, people in this world need to understand how that works. One is not necessarily the same. Then number four, God calls us to actively pursue justice for all. God calls us to actively pursue justice for all. The German minister, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote, we are not to simply bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. In Proverbs 21, verse 3, it says, To do righteousness and justice is desired by the Lord more than sacrifice. And then in Micah 6, 8, a song we often sing on Sunday nights, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. The Warsaw Ghetto was a 16, uh, was 16 walled-in urban blocks in which to the Nazis herded 500,000 Jews. And as many Polish Gentiles applauded that effort, it was Irina Sindler that risked her life to smuggle out Jewish children. As a health worker, she was able to visit the ghetto every day where 5,000 were dying each month from starvation and disease. Or Rena, a young mother herself, um, persuading parents to part with their kids was a horrific task, as you can imagine. And then finding those willing to risk their own lives by sheltering these children, that was no easy task either. But she took on that task. Irina forged hundreds of signatures on false documents, creating new identities um, for the smuggled children. Some were snuck out in potato sacks. Others were buried inside of uh, loads of goods. A mechanic took one baby out in his toolbox. Others were placed even in body bags and, and coffins. And some entered a church in the ghetto that had two front doors had two entrances. And the distraught parents, they would often ask, can you guarantee that my child will live? But Irina, she couldn't guarantee that. She said this, I can only guarantee that they'll die if they stay here. Well, the children with false identities, they were placed in Christian homes. They were placed in orphanages. They were placed in convents. And she carefully noted um, the children's original names and new identities. And she did this in code and she hid them in jars 
buried beneath an apple tree in her neighbor's front yard, which was across the street from a German barracks. She hoped someday that she could locate the children and she could inform them of their past. Well, on October the, the 20th, 1943, she was arrested. And she was in prison and she was tortured by the Gestapo because she was the only one who knew the names of the sheltering families. They broke her feet, they broke her legs, but she withstood the torture, refusing to betray her associates. Sentenced to death, Irina was saved when friends bribed a guard and she escaped from the prison, only to be pursued by the Gestapo for the rest of the war. After the war, she dug up those jars and she tracked down those 2,500 children who still had living relatives scattered all across Europe. You can imagine what a task that was. Irina died May 12, 2008, not very long ago. She was 98 when she died, but in 2007, she was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. Speaking of injustice, if you want to hear some injustice, here is a fact that's stranger than fiction. Irina Sandler lost the Nobel Peace, Bride, Peace Prize to Al Gore, who apparently saved the whole planet by producing a slideshow about global warming. That's injustice. Maybe you and I will never be in a position where justice demands you risk your life to save thousands. But folks, as Christians, whenever we witness injustice, whenever we see someone dis disrespecting God's image, we need to speak up. We need to say or we need to do something. We need to get up off of our laurels and we need to pursue justice. Now, all of us are called to pursue justice. But number five, Leaders in any sphere of human society have a special responsibility to administer justice. Proverbs 17, verse 26. It is also not good to find the righteous, nor to strike the noble for their uprightness. Proverbs 18, 5. To show partiality to the wicked is not good, nor to thrust aside the righteous in judgment. And in Proverbs 17, verse 23, says, A wicked man receives a bribe from the bosom to pervert the ways of justice. Folks, whether you're a governor, a police officer, a CEO, a project manager, a principal, a pastor, a teacher, a coach, a parent, or a husband, all of whom God places in responsibilities of leadership, we are ordained to re represent Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to do, which means we're to lead and administer our authority with and toward God's justice. That's the way it's supposed to happen. Number six, justice always brings blessings. Justice always brings blessings. Of course, the opposite of that is always true. Um, injustice always brings a curse. Proverbs 21 and verse 7 the violence of the wicked will drag them away because they refuse to act with justice. In Proverbs 21, in verse 15, the exercise of justice is joy for the righteous, but is terror to the workers of iniquity. 
In Proverbs 29 and verse 2, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people groan. We're seeing these scriptures played out right before our eyes, folks. Proverbs 18 and verse 17 says, the first to plead his case seems right until another comes and examines him. You know, we should never make judgments without hearing both sides of a story. And even then, sometimes, we cannot, on occasion, have enough clarity to make a choice. Proverbs 18, in verse 18 says, The cast lot puts an end to strife and decides between the mighty ones. In other words, folks, sometimes it's just better to flip a coin rather than have war. Well, justice is not always clear. But number seven, the blurring of justice is always sin. Proverbs 17 and verse 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. I can tell you what, we see a lot of this today. Whenever human reasoning is used for the standard of justice, men end up justifying the wicked and condemning the righteous. We see it every day. Isaiah, the fifth chapter, verse 20 says this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute um, darkness for light and light for darkness. Well, let me tell you how they got to this place. It says in Proverbs 28 and verse 4, Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive with them. And finally, number eight here, ultimate justice will be brought by God. I know things have gotten really bad and some of you shake your head and you're wondering how much worse can it get? How many of you really cried out with the prophet, how long, oh Lord, how long? How long is this going to keep on going? You know, our media, they move quickly from one tragedy to the next. And then they slant things to fit their own private agenda, even when they do that. And frankly, as horrible as it is, sometimes it's just a relief to hear of the stories of a, a heroic community coming together to help one another when a natural disaster appears, as opposed to those delusional, misguided hate groups maiming the innocent or our corrupt bureaucratic government abusing their power. It's sad to say those things, but sometimes it's true. I love it when people come together. Um, too bad it has to be just when a disaster happens. But Proverbs 20 and verse 22 says this. It assures us. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord. He will save you. You see, God has promised that someday He will set everything right. His justice will prevail. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had anyone insinuate that your faith is just not adequate because it's too simple and it doesn't accommodate the real world situations? Anybody ever done that to you? They say, you know, how could God judge one who, is, who was taught or felt a certain way all their life? Or how could God condemn one for making great choices in a very gray world? Folks, we don't have to worry about those hypothetical questions like that. We don't have to worry about that. 
We just have to trust in the goodness and the integrity and the justice of God. We're not the ones making the choice, folks, so we don't have to worry about that. Proverbs 20 and verse 12 says this. If you say, see, what did we did not know this, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? He will not render to a man, or will he not render to a man according to his work? In other words, God can handle all these muddled situations that we don't understand. God can handle all the mitigating circumstances because he does understand. I know as we look at, I know as we look at our world, we enjoy being part of the kingdom. We enjoy the camaraderie that comes with having brothers and sisters in Christ. And we look for his return and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We look for those days. But the truth is, because we are all sinners, none of us truly wants God's justice in our lives. What we want is justification in our lives. And justification, this is an incredible theological word which describes one standing before God's law just as if he'd never sinned. Folks, I like to think about this. Justified, just as if I'd never done it. Folks, that's the way you and I will stand before God as Christians when we've been redeemed, when we've been forgiven of our sins. And friends, by His grace and through the perpetuating um, sacrifice of His Son, God offers us that justification, just as if I'd never done it, just as if I'd never sinned. And He offers that to who will put their trust in Him. Folks, let me encourage you, put your trust in Jesus Christ. Justification is one of the benefits we get to be in, for being a Christian, just as if I'd never sinned. Folks, it don't get any better than that. God prepared a way for us. Justice. Justice. Let's pray. Father God, we're so grateful for the justification that you give us if we put our trust in your son, Jesus Christ, if we put our trust and belief in you. And Father, may we always be able to distinguish injustice from justice. Help us to know what it is. Help us to keep it separated like you would have us to separate it. And Father, we pray that you wouldn't give up on us we pray that you would continue to love us and help us to see that your ways are right. In Jesus' name, amen.